Hello and welcome to the ChemCycle podcast, talking about transport cycling from the UK's leading cycling city. I'm Hester Wells. This week we have a special guest, blogger and cycle campaigner Sally Hinchcliffe. Sally is the writer of the blog Town Mouse about the experience of moving from London to rural Scotland. She is one of the early members of the Cycling Embassy of Great Britain, a national cycling organisation pushing for the highest standards of inclusive cycling infrastructure. She is also the founder of Cycling Dumfries and a founding member of Women's Cycle Forum, and an organiser of Pedal on Parliament, and organiser of We Walk, We Cycle, We Vote. So we could talk to Sally about any of those things that she's involved with, the great deal of work she does for cycle campaigning uh, across the country. But today we're going to be talking about her experience of rural cycling and cycling infrastructure in rural locations and the use of e-bikes. So we're going to start with our regular question. What have you seen while cycling this week? So Sally, what have you seen while out cycling this week? Oh, um, loads of things, I guess. I'm always looking out for the wildlife that I see. Um, been looking out for blackberries this year, this week, just trying to been picking those. And uh, oh, exciting digging news because they're building, moving a pipeline, waving at cars, cursing at cars. There's always lots going on when I'm on my bike. What's the pipeline being moved? Is that sort of roadworks creating problems? Or? No, it's a giant gas pipeline that they're building between Scotland and Ireland, um, which I suspect was planned before Brexit, but they're going ahead with it. Um, so it's they're basically digging up the entire countryside with these enormous pipes, and it's it's the most exciting thing that's happened in Dumfries and Galloway for a long time. So. <laughs> Are the blackberries tend to be sort of along the roads or where do you see them from? Oh, yeah, I've seen them from the bike. Yeah, they're all along the hedgerows. So I'm having to remember every so often just to keep an eye out for other cars. But um, one of the things to note is I ride along very, very rural roads. So there's not usually anything else on the road. I can cycle along with my head turned, scouring the, the hedgerows for blackberries and interesting things rather than having to focus on what's going on around me which is one of the joys of um, cycling in southwest Scotland. That does sound a lot better than my regular experiences. So I, I was scratching my head trying to think of something I've seen this week, and mostly it's been really depressing things that I don't want to talk about because it doesn't make me happy. <laughs> yeah. Well, most, I mean, there's so few people about that, you you know, you interact with almost all of them, which is which is quite nice. I, I saw your uh, one of your recent blog posts that somebody recognised you because they see you when you're cycling, but they're in a car. Yeah, yeah. I've I felt quite I quite felt quite bad because I'd obviously I almost blew her off completely, and obviously in her mind we're great friends because we've been waving at each other for months, and of course I'm just sort of waving to the car, um, whereas she's been waving to a person, and I think that has kind of. But it, she was really nice, um, and it's quite nice to know that some of the drivers are actually quite friendly towards you rather than what you might think so it's it was it was nice to meet her and so I'm even more friendly to the cars now just because I don't know which car she's in so I have to wave at all of them now. I think one of the things I have seen probably in the last couple of weeks was a woman with two children in a cargo bike uh, stopped at, at traffic lights waiting for a, a toucan crossing to change and uh, the children although they were strapped in were still sort of bouncing about and looked like they're having great fun I imagine it was probably less fun for women <laughs> trying to cycle with them. That's something you see quite a lot in Cambridge, the sort of the backseat rider, the children who are convinced that their parents aren't going fast enough or are going the wrong way or doing the wrong thing. 
Yeah, I mean, that's one we thing we actually see. It, unfortunately, we don't see so much of is family cycling. Or um, there's one cargo bike in Dumfries, and I've been known to chase it down because I I want the guy to show up at events for us. And um, so I, he sometimes gets a slightly hunted expression when he sees me because he knows I'm going to ask him to come along for something. But my main method of communicating with him is waiting till I see him and then shake, chasing him down. But he's got two very cute kids. I think you almost have to have cute kids if you've got a cargo bike. Or maybe they are just become cute by being put in cargo bikes. I can't tell. But I've never seen an uncute kid in a cargo bike. So your blog, Town Mouse, which we're going to talk about, um, it's been running since uh, 2008. And um, it's about uh, the experience of moving from London to rural Scotland. So and it's not about cycling, but you talk about cycling quite a lot in it. So why did you start that blog and why is it still going so long after you made the move? (laughs) Yeah, I suppose in a way it's not really about the move anymore. It's just about my life in rural Scotland. I had been blogging in London. I lived in London and I used to write a blog called Disgruntled Commuter, uh, which I wrote every day about my experiences of commuting to and from work. Which it was actually more fun than it sounds, but not much. So I, when I made the move up here, obviously at that point I kind of had the blogging habit. So I just thought, well, I'll write a blog about that and we'll see how far it goes. And now it's become... I suppose it's become as much about cycling and gardening and knitting and all the other things that I do and some of the campaigning stuff that I do, but not too much. So it just, yeah, I suppose it's a habit now. I mean, I'm a writer and that's what I do. So it's quite a good uh, habit to get into to actually just sit down and write something four or five times a week. Probably I'd be better off writing books in that time, but (laughs) it's easier just to write a blog. What has been your experience of, of cycling in the country and how is it different from cycling in the city? Uh, well, probably chalk and cheese. There's lots of differences. The main one is, like I said, that we're very fortunate in southwest Scotland that we have a huge network of tiny little roads which aren't really the quickest route to anywhere. So if I can mostly pick uh, routes that I'm cycling where a car might come, I mean, I might get passed by four or five cars in 20 minutes at the maximum and so that's obviously a huge difference compared with cycling in London and I think the other difference is the distances that you cover are greater so in order to get to the nearest shop it's five and a half miles uh to get to Dumfries it's eight miles the sort of idea that one can just hop on a bike and you don't need special clothes and you don't need to get sweaty and things like that it's sort of true, but it's not as true as if you're only doing two or three miles. I mean, once you start to get to eight, ten miles, then things start to change. So that would be the two, the distances and the lack of traffic are the two big things. Yeah, that sounds quite different. I mean, around Cambridge, there, there are lots of villages around Cambridge, but I wouldn't say that many of them are truly rural in that kind of sense. If you go, in fact, I think, you know, that they're the most dangerous roads for whether mm. you're a pedestrian or a cyclist or, or in a car. And they're all still the main road to any particular village or something. They've still got quite a lot yeah. of traffic. Yeah, one. I mean, one of the things is set aside the trunk roads. There's two kinds of rural roads. There's the little tiny back roads, which can be really incredible to cycle along. And then there's the B roads. And one of the things that's happened in the last year is I've moved house and we've, we're have we now on what is about a mile and a half of B road. 
And suddenly that's a very different experience because not only have you got more traffic, but it's going at 60 miles an hour. So I've probably I've given you a very sort of fluffy bunnies kind of description of my cycling. But actually today, cycling into Dumfries, there was a guy came screaming around the bend on the wrong side of the road in a white van. And I really was going, whoa, 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 as he came towards me because I... (laughs) I really wasn't sure if he was going to move out of my way. So, but that happens like once or twice, whereas the rest of the time, once I'm off those roads. So it is, that is the difference. And I think one of the things I feared when I moved up to Scotland was that all the roads would be like that because that's what I'd read about that, you know, rural roads were quite dangerous. So it was a real revelation and just a really pleasant surprise to discover that there were all these tiny little back roads and that you could just cycle along. And so you see so few cars and often the ones that you see are, are ones that you see every day. So you can kind of train the drivers, if you know what I mean, <laughs> because they, they interact with you so often that they know how you're going to behave. And so, for instance, if they know you're going to pull over and let them pass at the next gate, then they won't try and force their way past you in 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 a hurry so that that's that's quite a difference i mean in the city you're interacting with people you'll never see again probably um yeah. so you can't build up a relationship or this this idea that you can sort of the cyclist behaves and the drivers will respect us is obviously just meaningless in the city but actually out in the country i could probably recognize half of the cars that i will interact with on my bike so it's actually worth exchanging courtesies, I suppose, you know, acknowledgements and waves. And, you know, if, mm-hmm. if they're if you're coming up to a sort of narrow bit with lots of bends then just pulling over and letting them pass and that that gets paid back to you. Whereas in the city, you know, you can extend, you mean, you might extend a courtesy anyway, but you're never going to meet that driver again. Yeah. <clears throat> so it's that kind of thing. So that's kind of one of the nice things. Yeah, you can have almost like a relationship with the drivers, even if you don't know it. <laughs> So the small roads, I mean, there's no need for cycle infrastructure on those roads because they're so infrequently used anyway. Do, do any of yeah. those, those sort of B roads or anything ha- have any kind of provision for cycling on them? No, there's nothing. And there's not even any footpaths or pavements. And this is one of the things I realised when I wrote a blog about how how every car that approached me, even if it passed me OK, it just felt like a death threat because I could hear them coming up behind me. Um, and I got a comment from somebody who lives locally who's, who doesn't ride a bike at all, but she says she feels exactly the same way, just trying to walk to get the bus. And it's you realise that actually, in a way, you're better off on a bike because you can take the lane, but you can't do that as a pedestrian. And pedestrians just get really, really suffer. It's just so narrow and the hedges are up against them and, and there's no space for bikes or pedestrians. It just means that people are stuck with cars that become very car dependent if you're not willing to cycle. So you made a, a deliberate decision that you didn't want to be entirely reliant on a car even though you're moving to somewhere more rural yeah that was one of my worries again about moving to the country because I don't like driving and I learned to drive very late I was 30 before I learned to drive so I wanted to be I actually probably thought I'd probably take a bus more I used to take the bus into town and then I realized it was actually quicker to cycle by the time you walk to the bus stop and wait for the bus it's quicker to ride a bike so has it been harder or easier than you thought to not be car dependent entirely much easier than I thought I really thought I mean one of the things I did when we moved up here was I hadn't driven a car for a year or two and I actually went out with my husband to practice a few times because I thought I'd better remind myself how to do it and I actually have to force myself to drive a car once or twice a year so I don't lose the ability to do it the rest of the time I cycle we have a car my husband drives so I have that option of getting a lift or or driving if I want to but 
I mean, I can go a week, two weeks without getting in the car. We made a deliberate decision when we moved house that we wouldn't be more than 10 miles from Dumfries because that's sort of the limit of being able to get into town in a reasonable amount of time and it not feeling like a huge expedition. And that just means that for almost all reasonable daily journeys, I can either cycle to Dumfries and get the bus, cycle to Dumfries and get the train. If we were 15 miles out, then it would start to feel less practical, I guess. And uh, you have a Brompton, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> so you do sort of the sort of cycle train journeys as well? Yeah, I mean, they've got a touring bike and a Brompton. So the Brompton's brilliant for getting on the bus with and getting on the train. It's not so bad to take your bike, but it just means you don't have to sit there and do battle with the train booking systems. The Brompton, you can just hop on. And, and it also means I have to confess that if I'm coming home late at night or, you know, in the evening, then it means that I can be picked up uh, rather than having to do the last eight miles home. <laughs> Did you have the Brompton before you moved? No, no. It was it was when I moved up here. And I suppose partly just hanging out with cycle campaigners and Twitter and things like that. And you see other people with Bromptons, you think, yeah, it would be really handy to have a Brompton. It's one of the things I look at jealously when I go to cycle campaigning conferences and everyone's got their little row of Bromptons lined up and I... Yeah. But I don't I don't really need one. I on the occasions I've wanted to cycle at both end, ends of a journey, I've been able to take my bike and although it's inconvenient, I just don't do it often enough to justify yeah. the cost of a Brompton. The one thing I mean, the thing that I really need the Brompton for is the the train to Edinburgh goes from Lockerbie, which is about twenty miles from where we live. And although that would be cyclable distance the road between Dumfries and Lockerbie is just hideous. It's one of these, it's an A road, it's narrow, it's uphill, apparently in both directions, it's <laughs> twisty. I mean, whenever I look at somebody cycling on that road, I just think, oh God, I really don't, <laughs> wouldn't want to do that. And it's it's just one of those huge barriers. And it, to, to get to Lockerbie without going on that road is a five mile detour. So now you're talking about an afternoon just to catch the train, whereas I can get it on the bus and there's a reasonably good bus. So that's that really helps. And that means then, you know, I can start out with the journey. But I do a little thing on my blog called 101 Uses for Brompton because there's all sorts of things where it just comes in handy to have a bike that you can stick in a car or stick in a bus or just have, you know, for every time you've done a journey where you only need to go one way on the bike, then the Brompton suddenly comes into its own. And it's things like um, also just things like going to stay with my parents and things like that. It's just nice to have a Brompton it means you can just throw the bike in the back of the car and take it with you. And then uh, if you need to get out, <laughs> get away, you can. You don't have to go and borrow a bike. It's one of those things you don't think you need one and then you have one and then suddenly it's got all sorts of uses. So, yeah, get a Brompton. You should get a Brompton. <laughs> go on. I'm, yeah, currently uh, fighting the N plus one battle with my partner already. So uh, although I could probably justify a Brompton a bit better because yeah. I can fit it inside. It's, it's the bike sheds which are full. Yeah, I think that, and that's the other thing. They don't take up much space and it just means like, it means you can go places and you're never without a bike. I mean, especially if you're like in true cycle campaign of fashion, you've got a giant Dutch bike or whatever, which seems to be the other bike that everybody has. So it's less practical. Well, this, this was why we were discussing the Dockless bike hire a few weeks ago, that it does enable those kind of one way trips or the, the never being without a bike if if it works properly. But anyway, I don't really intend to go on to that topic. 
<laughs> well, we we did have a bike hire scheme in, in Dumfries, but it died. Sadly, it was never going to be viable. So we'll... <laughs> I'm, I'm almost surprised that anyone tried. It was just one of these things. They got funding for it. So they went for it. <laughs> and they were quite fun. But it, yeah, it was never going to be viable. Along the roads, you, you said there isn't pavement. Are there any off-road routes or any sort of national cycle network around you? We've got basically, like, I think every town in Britain has got a piece of railway path and a, and a river path. So we've got a little bit of old railway, which is quite nice, flat level, beautifully wide, goes for about five miles sort of towards the edge of Dumfries. And there's scope. Beechings Axe fell quite heavily in Dumfries and Galloway, and there's no trains to the west of Dumfries at all. So there's a massive potential to build more wonderful viaducts and things still standing, but all sorts of land ownership issues on that one. Would those be useful for transport or would there be more leisure routes? Well, actually, one of them would actually take you up to Lockerbie because there used to be a train line from Dumfries to Lockerbie. Although it would be longer than the road, it would be flatter because with Lockerbie, you go up and over a hill and then down again. So, yeah, that's one of the things that would actually totally unlock getting to Lockerbie and getting that, which is on the main line, which then makes, you know, everything so much easier for getting about. So we've got the NCN, the, the Sustrans National Cycle Network. But unfortunately, a lot of that is just signs on the road. And, and while they have used these back roads and some of them are reasonably direct, they're not always the best roads and some of them are actually quite challenging roads. And there's certainly one section of NCN between Dumfries that goes down to Glen Capel, which is part of the sort of main Land's End to John O'Groats route, which I would not take children on. And I've had a lot of people say to me they wouldn't cycle on that. Um, so that's a real failing, I think, of the NCN that some of the roads that, I mean, if you're coming from a busy part of southern england you might think well this is fine but then if you try and imagine yourself cycling with your family on it you just think well, actually that's not fine <laughs> you know mm. that's that's quite scary <laughs> but the problem is because they've put the sign up and said here it is ncn it goes all the way up to john O'Groats, then it's quite hard to say yeah but have you actually looked at some of it because it's not what i would call a cycling network so i also saw on your blog that you've moved in the last year and you're now on top of a hill yeah. <laughs> that you're thinking more about getting a, an e-bike. So was where you lived before flatter or is it just the always having the climb as the last thing that you do, the, the yeah. problem? Nowhere, nowhere is flat here. So everything, certainly compared to Cambridge, everything rolls. There's lots and lots of, I mean, some of it's quite nice. You go up a hill, you go down a hill and so on. It's, it's not the highlands, but there's something about knowing that the last mile and a half of your journey is uphill and I noted that when the Tour of Britain came, it was a Category 3 climb. So I just, I would just like that recorded, that I live on a Category 3 climb. That does tend to weigh. It doesn't stop me cycling, but it would certainly mean that I don't lightly go into town and then come home and then go into town again. I, I, I try and I limit the amount of times I do the hill. And a friend who was not much of a cyclist before has got an e-bike and she's been sort of tempting me with it so she brought it up to visit the other day and I, I rode it down and up the hill and I have to say it just does make the hill disappear if you go up if you don't attack it if you just settle down pedal away choose a nice low gear and it just doesn't feel like there's a hill at all you just go up it and then you look down and you're doing like 
10, 12 miles an hour. So you're not just crawling up it. You're you're just moving along at a reasonable pace, but you're not breaking a sweat. You're not getting out of breath. And so that's kind of mm, <laughs> tempting. I've only occasionally used any bike. Obviously, yeah, I don't really have a need for them where I live, but I have, I've tried them out because yeah. it's always it's fun to do that. Yeah, it, it, it does take so much of the effort out of it. I mean, I know people who have e-bikes in, in Cambridge anyway. Some Sometimes it's because they're on trailers or cargo bikes, so yeah. the, the assist is there for the extra weight. But just other people who just find it makes their cycle more pleasant not to have to try hard all the time. I mean, it's still an active form of travel. Yeah. it's. I think you put in about as much effort as you would walking briskly, but you're moving at a cycling pace. So for my friends, I mean, she had tried cycling with a, just an ordinary bike, but she really struggled with it. And now she's she's all over the place with it. And, you know, she's thinking of things to do with it. And she's evangelical about it, you know. So and it, it, that's the difference that is that said before about distances, you know, where every journey is a minimum of five miles, then the bike becomes less instantly practical because it's a it's a commitment of time and it's a commitment of effort. I think that the e-bike unlocks a lot of rural journeys of the sort of five to 10 mile, 15 mile that would not be practical for people who are not actually really committed cyclists. And I think that's going to be really interesting over the next five years. I think that actually changes the conversation in a lot of ways about cycling. It's one of the things that I got my MP to ask about in Parliament, but the the problem with the the government supporting all forms of electric transport apart from e-bikes, the response from the DFT is basically they don't think e-bikes can replace motor vehicle journeys, and so therefore it's not part of their strategy. Yeah, and I would really love to know what evidence they're basing that on, because I'm sure you could find a way. I mean, they're talking about car scrappage schemes. You know, I'm sure you could find a way of saying, yes, trade in your skanky old diesel and get yourself an e-bike. That's going to be better than trading in for a, for a less polluting car. And I see people on them who are older or people buy them for, for their wives so that they will come cycling with them or for their husbands. I totally think it's unlocking cycling for people who weren't cycling before. You could find that out. You could get research for that and evidence for that. But it's the same in Scotland. Yeah, they've got a transport carbon emissions policy that involves everything except e-bikes. And that's quite frustrating. Thank you very much to our guest, Sally Hinchcliffe. You can find her blog, Town Mouse, at cityxr.wordpress.com. Would you like to say goodbye? (laughs) Goodbye. Thank you very much. Thank you. This has been a podcast from Cambridge Cycling Campaign a charity based in Cambridge, UK. You can find us online at www.camcycle.org.uk, on Twitter as at CamCycle, and Facebook as Cambridge Cycling Campaign. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.